Welcome to News from the Torah. This week we're reading the Torah portion of Vayera. Today is the 1st of November 2023, the 17th day of the Hebrew month of Cheshvan. And today is the 25th day of the war between Israel and Hamas. Started on that Black Friday, the 7th of October, when Hamas terrorists crossed over into Israel and killed 1,400 Israeli citizens, took over 240 people hostage, and wounded numerous, numerous thousands of Israelis. And ever since, Israel has been at war. And um, today's Torah portion, this week's Torah portion, is so relevant to the current events that are happening here in Israel uh, in three ways. The Torah portion deals with Avram's experiences in the land of Israel, with his interactions with the other nations in the region. It basically talks about what it is like to be a Jew living in the Middle East, and we will explore some of these connections on this show today. The second part of this Torah portion actually deals with Yishmael, the forefather of the Arabic nations, and his experiences in the house of Avram, and the experience of uh, Yishmael and Yitzhak, what it is like for Jews to be living with their Arab neighbors. And the third part of this Torah portion deals with Akedat Yitzhak, the binding of Yitzhak, the apparent commandment that God gives Avram to kill his son Yitzhak to bring him as a burnt offering. Actually, this is not the commandment, but this what it seems to be on the surface. What God uh, told Avram to do was to bind Yitzhak, but never to kill him. But um, Avram sort of jumped to the conclusion. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the prices that the Jewish people have to pay to continue upholding the covenant with God, the ongoing price the Jewish people are paying to stay true to who they are. So these three themes that are um, interwoven in this Torah portion are the ones that we would like to explore. And the first one I told you is the experience of the Jewish people in the Middle East, what it is like to be living here. So our sages say that the Jewish people could be compared to uh, a sheep that lives among 70 wolves. A sheep uh, that is harmless, that does not look to do anyone any harm, who just wants to graze and continue living with 70 nations or 70 wolves looking at ways to eat it up. So I know this might not be experience of many of our listeners around the world, who obviously do not want to kill Jews or who are very friendly to the Jewish people. But we have to say that for the past 3,000 years, the Jewish people have come and stayed at almost every country in the world and almost in every country in the world. No matter how welcoming it was in the beginning, by the end, the Jewish people were killed, enslaved, robbed, murdered, and expelled. It happened in every single country, almost every single country in Europe. It happened in almost every single country in the Middle East, 
and throughout Africa. It happened in the Far East, in the Near East. This has been the experience of the Jewish people in almost every single diaspora we have lived in. And whenever we went, we were told, this is not your place. You're foreigners. Get out of here. So finally, after 2,000 years of exile, the Jewish people came back to the promised land, the place where we are the indigenous people. This is our land. It's called Judea because we are Jews. And our Torah portion tells us exactly how Abraham came to this land thousands and thousands of years ago, even before there were Arabs, and how he inherited this land. And even in this land, he was not given any peace, just like we Jews are not given any peace in the land of Israel today, where we finally came to our indigenous land, the land where we belong. We are slandered as occupiers. And, you know, it's so interesting. There are three places in the Bible where the Bible, the Torah, explicitly says that the Jewish people bought this place and paid money for it. And our sages say that this is so explicit because these are the places that no other nation in the world can accuse us of stealing because the Bible, the Torah, specifically says that these places were bought by the Jewish people. And the three places are Hebron, the uh, Avram Avinu bought Hebron for an exorbitant amount of money to be able to bury his wife Sarah. We'll be reading about that next week. The second place is Shechem, Nablus. Yaakov bought that place uh, to be able to settle it. And the third place is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem bought by King David to be able to build the temple. So these three spots, Hebron, Naplus, Shechem, and the Temple Mount in Jerusalem absolutely belong to the Jewish people. And the Torah testifies that they were bought with money by our forefathers. And our sages in the Talmud say that these are the places that no nation can claim to be theirs. And isn't it interesting that it is specifically these places, Hebron, Nablus, and the Temple Mount, that are the most contested by um, the Arabs living in the region. They're the ones that, that we're constantly accused of having nothing to do with. And of course, these places are the centers of what is called, quote-unquote, the West Bank, the, quote-unquote, occupied territories. Nablus is in Shamron in Samaria and Hebron in Judea. But we, the Jewish people, belong in this land. And, but this fact doesn't sit well with perennial, ubiquitous anti-Semites who cannot handle, cannot stand Jews living quietly, peacefully, productively, anywhere. And so what they apply to us is the double standard and crooked, quote-unquote, morality and crooked, quote-unquote, moral codes that are not applicable anywhere else, like accusing Israel of war crimes. Let's talk about this one for a minute. Every single country in the world, every single army in the world, certainly when fighting a war, certainly when fighting a defensive war like Israel is doing today, Every single army in the world hurts 
the quote-unquote innocent people, innocent civilians. It's fact of war. It's a painful, bloody, unfortunate fact of war. But wars are waged not between armies. Wars are waged between people. And Hamas has absolutely no problem shelling Israeli cities. The fact that Israel is so good at protecting its citizens and makes that such a priority is what prevents Hamas rockets from killing, God forbid, thousands of Israelis. But it's not for the lack of wish or for the lack of trying that they're not hurting Israelis. And on the other hand, when Israelis, when the Israeli army fights Hamas, Gazan civilians will get in the way. Now, just like Israel does everything it can to prevent casualties on its own side, it is also doing everything it can to prevent casualties on the Gazan side. In fact, Israel gave quite a lot of time for the Gazans to leave the areas where there will be fighting. And they told Gazans ahead of time, there will be fighting here. Pick yourself up and get out of here so that you don't get hurt. Is this painful? Is this problematic? Is this difficult? Yes. But Israel is making every possible effort to minimize human cost on both sides. It is Hamas that is using Gazans as human shields, that is placing hospitals, um, using hospitals as covers for its own command centers, placing tunnels under schools, hospitals, and apartment buildings, inside mosques. Do you know that many of the rockets fired at Israel are fired out of mosques? Because Hamas, as we said on the last show, Hamas doesn't appreciate that God is in the human, that God is inside every single one of us, that we're created in God's image, which means God is inside of us. So just like Hamas has no problem slaughtering people, cutting off their heads, and damaging the image of God, Hamas has absolutely no problem using its own holy places, including mosques, to fire at Israelis, to profane their own religion. But what does the world do? The world applies a double standard. The a kind of behavior that is absolutely okay for every single other army in the world is suddenly not okay for Israel. And Israel is held to this higher double standard where it is uh, constantly called Nazi or accused of human casualties, which happen in every war, despite whatever steps Israel takes to uh, hold up uh, the image of human humanity and to ensure that as few people get hurt as possible. And actually, just this week on Shabbat, I had a conversation with my children. Um, a couple of years ago, we took them to a museum of tanks in Latrun. Latrun uh, is a site in uh, central Israel, and it has this museum of Israeli tanks where people can see the history of the Israeli tank corps over the years. Now, my husband served... Uh, in tank corps about 30 years ago. And as we walked through this site, uh, the guide showed us different tanks, Israeli and foreign, including American tanks. And she pointed out that in every single army in the world, the engine of the tank is placed in the back because if the engine is hit, the tank cannot function anymore. 
So the safest place in the tank is the back, and this is where the engine is to protect the tank. Israel is the only country in the world, in the only army in the world, to engineer its tanks in the opposite way. In Israeli tanks, the engine is placed in the front so that it can serve as a buffer to protect personnel, to protect the soldiers in the tank. So while other countries care most about protecting the tank and ensuring that the tanks, the expensive uh, machinery stays intact, Israelis care most about life. And they will go at any length and pay any price, including the price of decommissioned expensive machinery such as tanks in order to protect its soldiers. And this tank story is just an allude, it's, it's, an, it's a metaphor to how Israelis see life. And when Americans sent uh, tanks to Israel at a certain point, the first thing Israelis did was to move engines from the back to the front so that any tank that goes out to fight would be built in such a way as to be as safe as possible for the crew, for personnel, for the soldiers. So when you understand that this is the mentality of the Jewish people, and we see it in this week's Torah portion, the Torah portion starts with Avram, who just went through Brit Milah, through circumcision, sitting by the entrance of his tent and looking for people to help, looking for somebody to host in his home. And although he's sick and he's in pain, He's more in pain by the fact that there's nobody out there he can host. And when three people, three angels show up, and he doesn't know the angels to look up people, he runs out of his way so happy to be able to do something good for somebody. And who are his neighbors in this Middle East? Who are the people around him? Zdom and Amora are his neighbors. Zdom where having guests over was a capital offense where Avram's nephew Lot, who moved to Zdom, once took in those same angels, those same guests, the people of Zdom almost killed Lot and his entire household for the quote-unquote crime of hosting guests. And this is why Zdom was overturned. And who are the other neighbors? Avram's own son, Yishmael, the son of Hagar, uh, the Egyptian woman, who Ishmael is the forefather of the Arabic people. When he lives in Avram's house, the Torah tells us that he was trying to hurt Yitzhak, this other son of Avram. And so, unfortunately, Sarah was forced to tell Avram to make Ishmael leave the home. And God saved Ishmael in order that he could become a great nation. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we know that that has come at a very high price for the Jewish people. And our sages say that when God wanted to save Ishmael in the desert, the angels came to God and said, God, look what's going to happen in 2,000 years after from now, when the Jewish people will be going into exile from Israel to Babylon, they will ask the Babylonians to take them by the route that was near Yishmael, that was near the other Arab tribes, because these are our cousins and they will have mercy on us.
And what the Arab tribes would do is they would seem to welcome the Jews and give them salty foods to eat. And when the Jews would be thirsty, they would give them these um, uh, vessels that looked like vessels of water, but they were empty. And when the Jews would try to drink, they were so, so thirsty from all this salty food, there would be nothing there, and Jews would die from thirst. This is something that Ishmael did to the Jewish people during the exile to Babylon. What does this story tell us? That the way that, unfortunately, the children of Ishmael have been behaving to the Jewish people is looking um, friendly, seeming to be cousins, seeming to be going out, but then killing them in the most cruel of ways. And, you know, we really see that today. One of the uh, terror groups that infiltrated Israel on October 7th went into a kibbutz, and they knew where every single family lived. They knew how many people were in every single home, where there were fathers, where there were men who had guns. What was happening? They had the entire picture of the entire kibbutz. And how did they have it? Because there's one person, a man from Gaza by the name of Halil, who has been working on the kibbutz for 27 years. He knows the kibbutz inside out. The people of this kibbutz have been as friendly as possible to him. They have trusted him. They have went out of their ways to help him. And what was his way to pay back for that trust? To give over all this information and intelligence to the Hamas terrorists to slaughter the people of the kibbutz. Many of the residents of the uh, communities near Gaza, such as Be'eri and Kfar Aza, would go out every single morning with private ambulances to take Gazan residents and Gazan children for treatment to Israeli hospitals. And it is these people who have been trying to help the residents of Gaza every single day for years. It is these people who were slaughtered and taken hostage to Gaza. Now, isn't that unbelievable? Is that a way you repay somebody? Is this a way you build a relationship of trust? No, it's not. And so living with this double standard in a, in a region that is known for its lack of trust, for its lack of humanity, for its lack of human dignity, is what we, the Jewish people, had to go through in the times of Avram and today all over again. And, you know, one of my favorite stories in the story portion is a story of the uh, Avram going to the, the Philistine king Avimelech because um, there's not enough food around. And what Avimelech does right away is take Sarah, Abraham's wife, <coughs> to try to rape her. And then when God intervenes and prevents him from doing what he wants to do to her, uh, then he returns her to Avram with this stern uh, comment of, what did you do to me? Why didn't you tell me you, she is your wife? Like, how could you bring this upon us? This robber, this highway criminal, this rapist, the way to deal with his demons was to accuse Avram of not letting me know that this is your wife. And this is exactly what we Jews have to deal with. We're surrounded by rapists, highway robbers, murderers. And then when we try to protect ourselves, and when God protects us, us 
what we get in return is, how dare you? You're so immoral. You're so unethical. How dare you behave the way you do? But you know what? We don't care anymore. I think what happened um, in the past 25 days for the Israeli people is that we've stopped giving a damn. We are going to protect ourselves. It cannot be that 80 years after the Holocaust, our children can be slaughtered in such cold blood. It cannot be that 80 years after the Holocaust, our children have to hide under beds and in closets to protect themselves. It just cannot be. We cannot live with that. We came here to build an independent, quiet, peaceful, productive country. And I think Israelis have had enough. And they are so angry now. We are just not going to care. We're going to do whatever it takes to protect ourselves and protect our country and protect our people. And there will be a price. Unfortunately, yesterday, nine Israeli soldiers were killed in Gaza. One of them is Padaya Mark, whose um, family experienced a cruel terrorist attack when his father was killed a few years ago. His mother and sister were maimed, but uh, and he was killed yesterday in this attack. But we are going to do whatever it takes to protect our people. And this is the central message of the last part of this week's Torah portion, the biting of Isaac, when God tells Avram to take his only son, the one that he loves so much, or the only son that Sarah gave him, who is supposed to be the uh, forerunner of the Jewish people, take him up to a mountain and bind him. And when God says bind him, what Avram understands is that God wants him to uh, bring Yitzchak as an offering to God. So he goes ahead and does this, and they, he brings um, Yitzchak to the mountain, to the temple mountain. He binds him, he puts him on the altar. And it said that Avram set out his hand to pick up the knife, and that's when the angel of God told him, don't send your hand, don't hurt your son. And um, and Rabbi Harlap, who was a student of Rabbi Cook and lived about 70 years ago, says that what is the story with Avram sending his hand? The Torah is very, very um, concerned with not using extra words. The Torah only uses the words that it needs. So the sending of the hand that Avram had to do was giving us the future generations the strength to, for self-sacrifice. What God really told Avram when he asked him to bring Yitzhak as an offering to bind him was that the Jewish way of life, the covenant between God and Avram will require the Jewish people to bring sacrifices time after time after time after time after time and the Jewish people have brought their children as a sacrifice to God so many times over in the past 3,000 years. So this ability for self-sacrifice was given to us by Avram when he, when he stretched his hand out to sacrifice Yitzchak. It wasn't just for their generation. It was for every generation going forward. And it's painful to say 
it's impossible to say, no, I have a little seven-year-old child. She comes to my bed every single day because she has nightmares from the stories that are going around. And as much as we try to shield her and we don't play any um, videos in the house, we don't watch TV, we try not to talk about what's going on, but she just knows and she wakes up in the morning. Today she told me, Mommy, I hate terrorists. And I told her, Baby, I also hate terrorists. And my seven-year-old has to grow up in this environment, and she's only my youngest child. Every single one of my children has had to go through this. There are thousands, tens of thousands of Jewish children in Sderot and Etivot and Ofakim and Ashkelon and Ashdod and Kiryat Shmona and Aria that have to wake up in the every night and every morning to sirens because somebody out there is trying to shell their home, to bomb their home out of nowhere. And once again, the reason that Israel has, thank God, so few casualties is because Israelis have invested billions of dollars in civil defense systems and have made it mandatory to, for every single new home built in the 30 years since um, the Gulf War to have a protected room. Every single, just think about this, every single Israeli home built in the past 30 years has a built-in bomb shelter, okay, which is a really expensive piece of real estate. Every single Israeli home built in the past 30 years has a bomb shelter. I just want to ask you, in your country, in your city, how many bomb shelters do you have? How many people do you know that have a bomb shelter near their home? But the Israelis have been so proactive that just in case that we ever have to deal with uh, attacks from air, every single Israeli apartment, not just building, every single apartment has to have a bomb shelter. So it's because we have been so proactive that, thank God, we have so few casualties. But once again, it's not for the lack of trying. And so I would like you to appreciate what it is like to live as a Jew in the Middle East, where all you want to do is do good, to help the people around you, to give you their, to give them your uh, technology, to give them your water resources. You know, Israel sends water technologies and water resources to Africa because I just of the goodness of our hearts. We have the technology. We've learned how to do it. We've learned how to live in a desert. We've learned how to grow fruits and vegetables in the desert. We know how to do it. Let's teach you. Let's show you so you can also do it, so you can also have food. The only thing the Israelis want to do is to live peacefully, to develop their country, develop the economy, develop their technology, and share it with the other nations in the region, in the world. And this, is, in fact, was Israel's strategy for living with Gaza. You live peacefully, we live peacefully. We'll let your people come in and work in Israel and have jobs and make money so you can prosper and we can prosper. Let's do this together. And the fact that the Israelis thought that Gazans want the same, that Gazans just want to prosper and live peacefully and build an economy, the fact that the Israelis were blind to the hate that's burning in the heart of Gaza the fact that the Israelis thought that the people around them are just like them is what brought us to this place. 
And this week's Torah portion is a warning for us. The people of the region are not like you. Many people, and now I'm not saying everybody, there are nations with which Israel has been able to build peaceful relationships and it's been growing great and there's been a change. But we have a 3,000 year history with living like the, with the likes of Sdom, where welcoming a neighbor into your home is a crime, where you get killed for helping another human being. And it's living with nations like that and today that nation is Hamas that has taught us the lesson of enough. Enough is enough is enough. So yes, there'll be prices, unfortunately, for the Jewish people, hopefully as few as possible. We really pray that every single Israeli soldier comes back um, peacefully to continue building his and her home, to bring in more future generations, and to develop this country. But you need to understand we have 3,000 years of history of dealing with nations like that. And I think, I really hope that this time, we as a nation are going to put our foot down and say, we are going to live here peacefully, period. You want to join us? That's amazing. Let's be friends. Let's have a win-win relationship. Let's make each other rich. Let's make each other prosper. You don't want to live with us in a peaceful relationship? We are going to beat the hell out of you. Okay, so this is um, my message for today. I know it sounds a little bit militant, but we are all on steroids here in Israel because we have said we have had enough. So I love you. I really, really uh, thank you for listening to me, and I hope that you will join us once again next week on Wednesday here for news from the Torah. This was Leia. Really, thank you so much. Thank you.